From Vermont Public, this is Brave Little State. I'm Myra Flynn. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience, because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Today's winning question comes from a listener in New Jersey. They asked, what's the status of opening dispensaries for cannabis in Vermont? Vermont legalized the possession and at-home growing of cannabis in 2018. Then, in 2020, lawmakers approved a recreational cannabis market. The idea was to tax and regulate. We know that many Vermonters, that they're going and they're buying it in the black market and so forth. And we'd prefer to have Vermonters buying it in Vermont, a regulated uh, drug. Fast forward to today, and the very first retail dispensaries are preparing to open their doors in October. Oh yeah, it's all decorated. I've got the color scheme, I've picked out the, the light fixtures. I'm, I'm just stunned by it, I really am. But it's great though, it's about time. So, cannabis for sale in stores that you can walk right into. How is this gonna work? The reality is we're only gonna have one harvest in Vermont outdoors. And the idea is we could have four harvests indoors. As sometimes happens, we weren't able to get in touch with today's question asker, but their question still won. So Vermont Public's senior political reporter, Bob Kinzel, teamed up with me to bring us an overview of the opportunities and challenges ahead. We have support from Vermont Public sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. All right, so we are all on Zoom. We're recording ourselves in four different places. So we got to sync our tape. I'm going to count to three, and after three, we're all going to snap. All right. One, two, three. Great. I heard four snaps at all different times. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, we tried. We're all rolling. It's happening. Hi, everyone. How's it going, Angela? Hello, Myra. Hi. And hi, Josh. How are you? Doing great, Myra. Happy to be here. And Bob Kinzel, whom I've been working with on this episode. How are you doing? I am doing great. And I got to tell you that I have visited some of the most beautiful parts of Vermont as part of reporting on this episode. And it has been a joy. Myra has helped me stay focused on the question because this is an issue where we could go off into so many different tangents that are so fascinating because I think Vermont has a very unique approach to its what's known as tax and regulate for its cannabis retail marketplace and it's looking at other states and what they've done and incorporating some of that but at the same time taking a very Vermont approach to this whole issue. So I thought we could start at the Vermont State House, and the first person that I wanted to hear from was uh, Wilmington Representative John Gannon. Vermont's current law is awkward because it's a legalized product without creating a safe legal access to it. 
Now, remember back in 2018, Vermont passed a law that essentially legalized cannabis in the state and said you could possess up to an ounce and you could grow several plants, but you couldn't sell it. So it set up this situation where I can possess cannabis, but I can't buy it anywhere because it's illegal to sell it. So Gannon started off by saying, you know, we've got a pretty awkward law right here. And maybe it would be helpful if we could clarify for people exactly how this law is going to work. That really was the main argument in the House and the Senate in the 2020 session. The goal of this bill is the elimination or near elimination of the black market, delivery a product of a certified purity and known potency, while minimizing the growth of heavy, heavy or hazardous use and use by children. Dick Sears, who is the Senate Judiciary Chairman from Bennington, becomes kind of the unlikely supporter and leader of the cannabis market. And his whole approach is, hey, Vermonters are going to other states to buy cannabis legally. If that's the case, it ought to be available here, and we have a real opportunity to make it safer here. We know that many Vermonters, that they're going and they're buying it in the black market and so forth, and we'd prefer to have Vermonters buying it in Vermont, a regulated uh, drug. And take some of the revenue that's going to be derived from the sale of cannabis and put it into uh, after-school programs, put it into youth prevention programs, and Sears really becomes the champion of the tax and regulate bill. And this is an opportunity to regulate, to make sure that what our people are buying, if they don't go to another state, is tested and is proper. After the passage of the law, the next step really fa falls to the Cannabis Control Board. This is a three-person board that's appointed by Governor Scott, and they're really charged with implementing this law in every aspect uh, you can think of, from licensing growers to licensing people who will test, uh, people who will manufacture. And, you know, the sort of an overriding thing here is that because of the federal prohibition, everything in Vermont has to happen in Vermont. So it has to be grown here. It has to be tested here. It has to be manufactured here, and it has to be sold here. And there can be no interruption in that supply chain. Everything has to be within Vermont. I think it's amazing that you can't, you can't have any part of the process, um, any, any part of the cannabis process done outside of the state. Is that usual or is that just a Vermont thing? No, that's a usual thing. That's, that's going to be true in every state because of the federal prohibition. So it's going to be against federal law to transport cannabis across state lines in any form, be it raw cannabis, gummy bears, uh, let's send it out of state to be tested and then bring it back. Can't do that either. This is a real challenge for us because we've got to build these different sectors of the cannabis marketplace. We've got to build them from scratch and have these all ready by the 1st of October. There's always a rocky start to the rollout of this these cannabis markets, and it's because of federal illegality. So at the corner of State and Maine in Montpelier is the city center office complex, and up on the third floor we have the offices of the Cannabis Control Board, and the chairman of the board is James Pepper. And so really, you know, when you think about Vermont, we have some of the highest usage rates. We have a very robust illicit market right now, 
you know, we can't. Somewhere just, around 30% of all Vermonters say they have used cannabis in the last 30 days. That's one of the highest numbers in the country. So James Pepper says, we got great growers. There's no doubt about that. Now, how do we bring those growers into the legal marketplace, which is really the main priority of the Vermont law as he explains it? So he's making overtures to growers, small growers, to say, please join us. We need you. You guys are great. Uh, we need you to be part of this success. These people are very good at what they do, which is growing cannabis. And so we need to shift them into a regulated space and kind of break down barriers to entry and really try and help this group of people that has really developed their craft in an unregulated space. So the idea is to only license very small growing plots at the beginning. Now, small is about a thousand square feet. And I've tried to wrap my head around what's a thousand square feet? If you imagine a basketball court and you cut the court in half and then you had half of a basketball court and you cut that in half, you'd have about a thousand square feet. Or think about a two-car garage. A typical two-car garage that's attached to someone's home, that's eh, roughly a thousand square feet. Or maybe like the largest New York City apartment that ever existed for rent a thousand square feet <laughs> <laughs> that's right but that a thousand square feet that's small if you think about other vermont growers or producers who are making a product they have like huge fields hundreds of acres it's very small and it's going to take probably around 300 growers to supply enough product now there are some larger tiers that are being authorized at this time. There's also a combination indoor-outdoor license where you could have 1,000 square feet indoors and up to five or 6,000 square feet outdoors. So you can, you can do both. And the reality is we're only going to have one harvest in Vermont outdoors. And the idea is we could have four harvests indoors. In, in their ideal world, why do they prefer or why would they prefer growing outdoors? Is it just nice to be outside or like wh why? I think that's it. I think at heart, these are agricultural folks and there's something that they find very satisfying about growing plants outdoors. It also takes away that like illicit feeling. I don't know. There's something about growing you know, cannabis indoors. It still feels, you know, naughty. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, because there's still a stigma around cannabis. Uh, everyone I talked to uh, for this episode talked about it, that maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe, and I don't know if around 50 or 55 is the tipping point, but if you're under 50, recreational cannabis, what's the big deal? What took so long? So James Pepper talks about emphasizing small growers, bringing the people already growing in the illicit market into the legal market. And what he really envisions is that different growers are going to develop reputations. He compares it to Vermont's small craft beer industry. Having a lot of small cultivators really is the kind of engine of innovation, and it will drive kind of a diversity of products. Um, it will create craft quality. So, Bob, can I just jump in here? Because we're talking about different cannabis products that will be on the market someday. 
But I feel like there are also already some products that you can buy now, like CBD oil or like CBD infused cold brew coffee. And so can you help us understand like what is already legal and and what the difference is between these different types of products? That's a great question. And it was one that I wasn't sure of the answer of. I had to do a little research because we're going to hear from folks who are growers, a lot of folks who are growing CBD right now, who are going to transition and expand into THC. So it's really, uh, what's the difference between all these things? THC is the substance that gets people high. It also has medicinal qualities, particularly for people who have chronic pain conditions. Now, CBD, on the other hand, has almost no THC in it. The amazing thing is they come from exactly the same plant. So when you talk about the cannabis plant, you are talking about CBD, which has no uh, mood elevating experience with it, and THC, which does. So you might ask, how is that possible? And what I'm told is the plants have vastly different subspecies characteristics. We're probably into more biology than I can go into, but that's where the real difference is. Now they both can be smoked, they both can be distilled into oil tinctures. They both can be used as balms. They both can be made into edibles like gummies or little pieces of chocolate. So what I'm told in the cannabis industry is that CBD plants, and those are the ones with virtually no THC, are often referred to as hemp. And the higher THC plants are often referred to as cannabis. Coming up, we meet some of the growers and sellers who will be at the heart of Vermont's new cannabis market. That's next. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Welcome back to Brave Little State. I'm Myra Flynn. Today we're exploring Vermont's recreational cannabis marketplace, which will open up on October 1. 19 states and the District of Columbia have adopted a tax and regulate approach to cannabis. And today, our colleague Bob Kinzel is explaining how things will look here in Vermont. You know, a really important part of this whole retail marketplace is where the cannabis is going to be sold. And by cannabis, I'm talking about the THC now. Uh, and so we're going to find out that there are probably going to be 50 or 60 stores around the state of Vermont that will be selling cannabis products starting on October 1st. And one of them is going to be in Montpelier. And I had a chance to go down there and meet with the owner of the store. Uh, there's a person named Lauren Andrews who currently runs a business called Aeromed. Hey, welcome. Hey, Lauren. Great to be here. Oh, nice she sells CBD from a lot of the producers in Vermont, other sort of natural health uh, remedies. And she has applied for a license, and she just got her lease signed. 
So I visited her at her empty storefront. Oh yeah, it's all decorated. I've got the color scheme. I've picked out the, the light fixtures. Um, we ha what I like about this space too, it's going to be extremely easy to secure. Uh, one of the top she priorities. She formerly was a psychiatric nurse, uh, and she found that some natural remedies uh, actually worked better for patients than heavy-duty pharmaceuticals. And so that led her on a path of, I got to learn more about this. And once I started going down that path, it was really clear that that's where I was meant to be. That's where I was meant to serve. She talks about some of the difficulties of trying to start a business where you have a federal prohibition. Uh, banking is a huge problem. Uh, you can't do banking with, a, with an established bank that has a federal charter. Well, that's just about everybody. The only people it doesn't really include are the state credit unions who are chartered through the state of Vermont um, to get insurance to cover the store. Um, it's a skyrocketing rate if you can even get it. And on top of that, Montpelier has a number of empty storefronts, but you have landlords who have mortgages on those buildings with a federally chartered bank and are very reluctant to lease to a cannabis retail operation that's in violation of federal law. So it gets complicated. And it's been 10 months of um, a very arduous search to find the right place and a landlord who'd be willing to work with me. And, and I found that here, and, and I'm just so happy to be in downtown Montpelier. It'll just be another feather in Montpelier's cap. And we're talking about her store opening uh, October 1st which uh, is a very ambitious goal. That's the first day that any store can legally open in the state of Vermont. And I should just add to that that James Pepper at the Cannabis Control Board, he describes it as there are going to be some supply chain issues. Uh, there are going to be huge lines outside these stores. So there's going to be huge demand in the very beginning of October and maybe not a lot of product. Now, one way around this is in the law that was debated by the legislature this past session is a provision where a consumer can actually order their product online. Online ordering for in-store pickup. So you can just like through, um, a lot of grocery stores have this now, a lot of restaurants of course have this, where you can go online, see what's on the menu today, see what's being packaged and cultivated. So you could go online to Capital Cannabis Company and say, I'd like to get that bag of brownies. Bob, I just want to note that I think I've heard you talk about gummy bears, brownies, chocolates. Um, I mean, is this a tell? Is this some sort of a, a cannabis tell for you? Or is it a sweet tooth tell? Do you just have a really bad sweet tooth? I have a passion for brownies and chocolate, oh, especially chocolate cookies, uh, chocolate oatmeal cookies, chocolate walnut cookies. So I'd say my real addiction here is chocolate cookies of any kind. I mean, Bob's brownies has a nice ring to it. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Well, maybe I have a future career. I would totally buy it. Um, but even if I ordered online, it sounds like I'd have to go and pick it up in person. That's right. You know, I think a lot of these stores are going to have an express lane. 
This is one way if you order on online, you can go to the express window and then pick up your products uh, if you know what, what it is that you want to purchase. And I think it's going to be a very popular function. So I really did think it'd be a good idea to go meet with some growers. What I found is we have some very successful CBD growers in Vermont right now. And some of them want to make the transition to expand to THC. And some don't because it's just too hard. There are too many federal obstacles to overcome. So the first group I talked to, Family Tree in Sheldon Springs, uh, Ben and Jane Lanza, have been growing CBD at their farm there. And they're making the transition to cannabis THC. They took, gave me a tour of their indoor facility. This is a nursery. So these plants are all in their vegetative state. And this tent I'm going to open is a flowering tent. So you'll see buds. And then they take me outside and show me where they're hardening plants off. And while we're there, a big wind comes up and blows about a dozen plants off the table. Yeah, they've been beaten up by this last wind over the, you know, this storm and wind over the last X amount of time. Certainly that's part of it. That's the hardening off. I should mention that another element of the Vermont law is the social equity provision. The reason it's important is that it has a financial benefit to it in that most of the fees are waived for licensing, and it makes you eligible for a loan and grant fund of up to $50,000 to get your business off the ground. So it's really encouraging folks who have been disadvantaged by cannabis laws in the past to give them a leg up and maybe provide them with some capital that they might find difficult to get otherwise. What this says is that uh, Vermont is going to encourage people to qualify as social equity applicants. And to do that, you have to meet one of three criteria. One is that you're a person of color. Two, is that you belong to a community of people who have been disadvantaged by uh, previous arcane discriminatory cannabis laws. And three is you have either spent time in jail because of those cannabis laws or you have a family member who has spent time in this jail. Much inside. Mm. Father, this yes. is Frank. This How is Bob are you? Kinsel, Hi. What, what is this? So this is a microphone. Oh, I thought you were going to rub me or something. <laughs> no, it does look kind of... So, and this is like a windscreen for it, so... Huh. And that's the case with Jane and Ben Lanza. Their father, Frank, uh, spent 18 months in prison, in federal prison, in the early 1990s, for possessing and distributing a large amount of cannabis. Uh, it was described to me as a truckload. Yeah. These were some fairly bad people that I was in with. Fairly bad. And I asked Frank if I can interview him. Frank, would you be willing to talk to me? Sure. You know, 30 years ago, he spent 18 months in a federal prison that he describes as a very harsh place. What did I do there? I took this half acre of ground 
and I planted a garden. I saved seeds from the mess hall, and I they finally, when they saw I was serious and things could happen, they started buying me seeds, and so I raised a bunch of vegetables, you know, peppers and tomatoes, and to give to the mess hall. So that worked out. They left me alone for that reason. I was a, I was the gardener, and they just, I didn't have to get involved. And now, 30 years later, we got marijuana plants everywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm just stunned by it. I really am. But it's great, though. It's about time. No, it's, it's, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed to pull up my driveway and see marijuana plants growing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of emotional hearing that Frank is so optimistic. And then I can't help but wonder, for folks of color, if there's any guilt associated with participating in an industry that has, you know, incarcerated maybe family members um, for decades now. And it wasn't for a truckload, Bob, right? It was just for a tiny bit of, a, like, maybe a joint or something like that. I think that's a really important point, Myra, that uh, a lot of people of color uh, got sentenced to long times in jail for relatively small amounts of what we refer to as marijuana. the opportunity to go over to Barnet and meet with Ivan and Cindy Pudan. And they have a place called Snowbird Botanicals. And they call it Snowbird because they also lived in Florida for a while and then would come back to Vermont for the growing season. And so they saw themselves as snowbirds, but now they're here permanently. Hi there. Hey, Bob. Welcome. Had a great adventure here, but it's a beautiful part of the state. (laughs) It definitely is best part of the state. Ivan is originally from Trinidad and Cindy is from Peru and they had all their licensing fees waived through the social equity provision. Uh, Their farm in Barnet is absolutely gorgeous. We must love living here. We do. That is part of the reason why we chose to live here. It's there, we love that there are no signs on the streets. There, you know, driving here actually is enjoyable versus being in any traffic anywhere else. Small <laughs> businesses. Small businesses everywhere. You know, the support for folks like us. We just there's there's no comparison. They have several hemp fields down below their house. Uh, they have a greenhouse for the new hemp plants and the new cannabis plants. And then they have this little barn where they process all of their products and separate them out so they're only dealing with the very highest quality products for their tinctures and for their balm. So you're growing hemp or have been for a number of years. Correct. And you're gonna make the transition to expand Yes, uh, we will also be incorporating cannabis this year, which is great. You know, we, we've we come up here, we came up here a few years ago to learn how to grow hemp. You know, essentially, they're the same plants, um, well, with the exception of the content, you know, mm-hmm. of the final product. So we learned how to grow hemp, you know, to get into the industry, and we just fell in love. We fell in love with Vermont. We fell in love with the plants. Um, he says, you know, with everything growing, that's going on in the world, uh, Vermont is a special place 
to be. And Vermont has been very inviting. At the moment, you know, what's going on in, in the world, in the United States and such with, with minorities and everything, we really didn't know how everything was going to be perceived and how we were going to be accepted and such here because we didn't know about Vermont before, but we have to say it's been extremely positive. Then I asked him uh, how important having the social here, equity designation was to him, to have all these fees waived. Did it open a few doors? Oh, it, <laughs> it literally is the door. We, we would not have been able to turn the knob if that wasn't the case. Otherwise, and then I asked him the question that Myra was referring to. I said, you know, I mean, how does it make you feel that you got this social equity designation because so many people of color were penalized and punished in the past and you're benefiting from it? So how does that work? I mean, how do you feel about that? So... It actually is, is quite easy uh, because we have gone through it ourselves. You know, I've, I've personally gone through quite a bit of, uh, I, I hate using the term, you know, like the racism and such. I, it's really silly in my opinion, but I have experienced it my whole life. It, we say it's easy, but it is hard to hear and see folks that are suffering because of it and have previously. They're, there's so many people that their lives have been changed and turned so negative because they, of that one time they had a negative experience because of cannabis. And, and yeah, it's, it's irreparable. Um, but hopefully, for lack of a better term again, change. You know, We're hoping that change will eventually come. And, and we really do feel like Vermont is a great place to, I mean, start. <laughs> it's not even in the middle at all. We're at the beginning stages of all this. Even though cannabis has been legal in so many states and, and different countries now as well, it's, we're still far from, far from any type of uh, solution. The third CBD manufacturer I met with was Elmore Mountain Therapeutics up in Morrisville who have a booming CBD business, they've decided that the federal obstacles are just too great. They've got a good CBD business going now. They think it would be a distraction for them to go into THC cannabis, and so they, they are not going down that road. Ashley Reynolds is a co-owner. She's actually a member of the advisory board of the Cannabis Control Board. We'd really like to see EMT CBD be a strong brand in these new dispensaries, um, but there's so much that goes in. It's not just that we don't have the wherewithal. Like We've been operating a cannabis business for five years, but what we certainly have become really aware of are all the challenges you know, I actually know Ashley. I went to high school with her. Um, and she's been on BLS before. I think in 2018, she was on our episode about what it takes to um, run a small business in Vermont. But now I know Ashley later in life, like as an adult, best by her products. And she also serves on the Women's Equity Committee of the Cannabis Control Board because she feels very strongly that, that women have a place in the cannabis industry and she wants to promote that as much as possible. So I was appointed to the Social Equity and Compliance and Enforcement and I think my commitment to social equity, to women, our, our brand, it, it's every fiber of what we do. I, I think what really fueled my desire to get into the industry is seeing all the injustices, um, the unfair 
things that continue to happen. I mean, we went from a 37% female owned and operated um, stake in the cannabis industry to close to 25. So it's really hard. And I think having examples of what could be is important for new entrepreneurs getting into the industry. I have really been touched by these three growers, these three young couples who are venturing off into a new land and their optimism, uh, their can-do spirit. I mean, it would have been so easy to say, ah, God, this rain is causing this problem and I got a hole in the fence and... I mean, I've been around farmers before, but these three couples, all young, just had this remarkable spirit to them uh, that when I left them, I thought, hey, we're in good hands. This is, you know, this is reassuring to me. It was very hopeful. Uh, So I, yeah, I just felt that. I just wanted you to know that. Thanks so much for listening to the show. To see some photos of local growers, indoor and outdoor cannabis crops, head to our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can submit your own question about Vermont, sign up for the BLS newsletter, and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at BraveStateVT. Bob Kinzel reported this episode. I produced and mixed it with additional editing and support from the Brave Little State team, Josh Crane, Angela Evansy, and me. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Jeffrey Pizzutillo. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public. If you like our show, please make a gift at bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Myra Flynn. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont storytelling. Until then, be brave, ask questions.